very good friends, Anton and Ange Cater from South Africa, you know, did this encounter weekend. Anton and Ange, of course, now lead the church that we were leading in Johannesburg for, uh, had the privilege of leading it for five years. How many of you would say that that was like a beneficial time for them to come? Um, that, so I, I just want to start off sharing out of my own heart, and I don't want to make this about me. This is entirely about Jesus, but I also see benefit in opening up my heart and sharing so that everybody has a window into what God's doing in me, um, because I think that it, all, it often applies to where he's leading us as a church. Um, so Anton, basically, if I could just put it into perspective, in case you don't know, Anton was saying that as of late, and of course he's a unique gift of ministry, not everybody needs to look and do what, like Anton and do what Anton does, but as of late, he has been uh, getting to a place where he doesn't prep messages anymore. He just waits before the Lord and spends time simply just sitting there and waiting on God. And as he does so, the Lord will drop things into his heart that'll just feel like God speaks, and he'll write it down on post-it notes. And so he got up, you know, you may have noticed on Sunday, he had like five or whatever multicolored post-it notes in a Bible. And uh, so that's what he did not only on Sunday, but Friday and Saturday, the three-day encounter weekend. So he just got up, and, and, and he, he shared with us out of, wait, out of his own place of waiting on God. And what he ended up sharing, what God had put in his heart, was all about waiting on God. And it was this modeling the very message that he was preaching, showing us a not doing this thing in human strength, but pausing, waiting on God, receiving something that can only come from him, and just doing that. That may sound like so 101. Wow, that is freeing. And so I want to be honest with you, honestly, and this is not, I'm not hyping this up. I feel as though um, I almost touched my hair. I've got a challenge with my hairdresser over there. I'm not going to touch my hair today. So every, everybody knows now it's the challenge. <laughs> not touching my hair. Um, I honestly feel that this past week, and some of you noticed, I certainly got touched on night one and, and the wonderful kind of things. I, I can't even begin to share everything that's going on with me, honestly, of what God's doing. So I'm just going to sh share some stuff this morning, um, having to, very much to do with resurrection, uh, being Easter, but, uh, but also out of what I feel God's doing in me and doing in us as a local body. But I honestly feel like I got born again again, <laughs> honestly. I, I, I actually have memories from before this in encounter weekend, this past weekend, and it feels like that was another life. And I'm not talking about like two years ago. I'm talking about two weeks ago. Like the space I was in. And, I, I'm, and I'm being really real and, and um, vulnerable here. I was, I had embraced a idea that because I'm dual career, I'm leading a church and I'm involved in business, and that I just have embraced that during this season, as we're planting this church, it's just tough going and it's just going to be crazy and it's just going to be crazy stress. And I had embraced that as an identity, as an identity of my season. And the Lord has lifted that, that he has called us to live in freedom, joy, and peace. And, and yeah, there are like major things that need to get done or, or what have you, but I am free to just wait on God 
and to live out of what he's telling me. And I feel like I've always done that my whole Christian life, but it's just gone to another measure of not just jumping in and giving my prayer list and reading the scriptures and make sure I tick all these boxes and, and do the cerebral thing, but sit and do the spirit thing of just abiding and receiving communion that only comes from the spirit of God and that being the source of life. That is so freeing. I honestly feel it's a, Kurt messaged me and said he felt like it was a watershed moment. Good word. Like, watershed. This is the beginning of something new. So, awesome. I love, I'm so grateful for friendship and for translocal partnership. Almost touched my hair. So, if I could just say this. The death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus is actually very much a story of, or the theme of waiting in that whole thing. There are two waitings. There was the waiting that they had in, when Jesus died on a cross and he rose again the third day. There was that intermediate period of waiting. Now, they didn't wait in a biblical sense. They kind of failed. Uh, but that was waiting, a God-ordained waiting period. And then there was another one that was actually a redemptive, restorative opportunity to make right what had been wrong when he ascended into heaven and said, wait in Jerusalem. Don't go back to your, to your uh, routines. Don't go back to Galilee. Don't go back to the fish. Wait here in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so there was another waiting. And so we're going to look at both of these this morning because I am sure that God is speaking to me, to us. Wait. Not, not wait as in do nothing. Before you start doing, wait. And let your doing come out of waiting. So let's look at that. There's waiting on the promise, and then there's waiting in prayer. So the first, first kind of waiting, the first of those two that I just mentioned, is waiting on the promise. And if you'll look with me, you can flip through quickly with me. I just want to kind of build some things scripturally so that we make sure that what we're saying is actually founded in, in scriptural truth. Matthew 16, 21. I'm, not, I'm just going to read these scriptures. Matthew 16, 21, and then we'll go over to Matthew 27, verses 62 to 64, just to establish this, that Jesus promised to come back from the dead. So as I say that, God promises, uh, God's promises require waiting in the face of opposing circumstances. God's promises require waiting in the, in the face of opposing circumstances. How many of you ever experienced that? I feel like my life as a believer has been that. God promising, and then I wait, endure in faith over a protracted period of time before we see the fulfillment of what he promised. And in the interim, you look like an idiot. And it's all by God's design that we would know this thing is not of uh, us or man, but it's of him. So having said that, Jesus promised to come back from the dead. Promise. Required waiting. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Would you agree he told his disciples that he was going to die and rise from the grave and specifically it would be in three days, right? Yeah. So they all knew that. Matthew 27, 62 to 64. 
Listen to this. Uh, not only was it his disciples, but the larger crowd, even those who were opposed to him, was aware of this fact. On the next day, this is after Jesus actually was killed. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver, speaking of Jesus, he's not a deceiver, that's what they called him, said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, unless his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. So even the Pharisees and the scribes knew that Jesus had promised that he would die and then he would rise again on the third day. They had every reason to be expecting him to make good on his promise, right? And they would know, if they really even trusted in what Jesus had said, they could have, in a sense, hurt for him, their beloved one hanging on a cross, but they could have, with joyful expectation, been looking for that wonderful third day where he would rise from the grave. And were they doing that? Not even at all. And I'm going to ask us the question, what has God promised us, you, that may be requiring something of waiting on that promise? And what do we do in that period? Look at this. Natural information had overshadowed their belief. That's what happens, my friends. God promises, and then it's the natural information that totally counters what he's promised that causes us to either fight in our faith or retract and say, I guess I was wrong because circumstances are telling me something opposite. God's promises will always counter natural information that it would be the believer believing that inherits and receives the promise. So Luke 24, 5 through 11, then... As they were afraid, this is, this is the ladies that went to the tomb. After Jesus had died, they came back on the third day, <laughs> apparently not even thinking that he was going to rise from the grave. They were just coming to, like, mourn. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, the angel speaking to the ladies, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. Isn't that something? The Pharisees remembered his words. And they, like, flat out forgot. And, you, and that seems so ridiculous, right? How many of us have had promises from God and walked through opposing natural circumstances and flat out forgot? No expectation of him fulfilling it at all. Let's not judge them. Verse uh, 8, And they remembered his words and returned from the tube and told all these things to the eleven, being the apostles, and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the rest with them who told these things to the apostles. And listen to this. And their words seemed to them like foolishness and they did not believe them. They were told by Jesus he would come back from the grave. He came back from the grave. They were told that he came back from the grave, and he still didn't believe him. They still didn't believe him. So I just want to say this. This pattern that we're looking at is how God has always worked with his people. It is a pattern. And if it's a pattern, then you and I can adopt it as what we expect in our own lives. The same God who promised to Abram at the age of 75 that despite the fact that you and your wife have had no children, you're going, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Laughable, as Kurt is laughing at the moment. Laughable. 
and he believed. But let me ask you this. What about when he was 76, 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 100? Think about the Monday, the Wednesday, still no promise, still no fulfillment. Is that ringing a bell? Sound familiar? 25 years go by before he actually fulfills that promise where it would, what was laughable to begin with was utterly and totally impossible and ridiculous in its fulfillment. Joseph being promised specifically an indication that he would have authority over his parents and his whole family, and the very next thing is that very family beats him up, throws him into a pit, sells him into slavery. How many of you would be maybe a little forgetful of what God had promised? And it was years. I mean, the story got worse. He goes into prison. You know, he's a slave, and then he goes into prison. And then he's kind of, like, works his way up, and eventually the whole thing comes around. It was years. And he finally finds himself walking into the fulfillment of that promise. And I could say this. At the age of 19, it's like, for me, maybe a year and a half or so after I met Jesus, and I start to have these encounters where I'm receiving stuff in my communion with him, and and, and out of nowhere comes this desire to preach these things and to teach these things that God's showing me. And I'm like, what is this? And, you know, kind of like, are you sure about that, God? I'm not going to teach. I'm not preaching. And I wrestled with God for like a year or whatever, six months or something, before I could embrace that I'm actually called to do this thing. And I was 19 years old. And I can remember at 19, you know, the, the story. Dave, I'm sure you, David, you can probably identify. The, the story is it's this. All the adults in your life the conversation inevitably is, so what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do? And, and I would say, I feel like I'm called to, uh, to, to, to pastor. I'm called to church leadership. And, you know, growing up in the church background that I did, and, and they could tell that I wasn't in that, in that uh, faith stream, um, it, it, was, it was like an awkward, you know, they were like, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, that's great. So you're going to seminary? Uh, no, I'm not. I, I'm actually a part of this local church, and I, I, I really feel like that is my preparation. You know, I'm getting some theological training and, and that kind of thing, but I'm not going off to a seminary. Oh, so, like, is there a job lined up for you? No. <laughs> so, so how are you going to, how do you know that you're going to be able to, co- well, I just, I feel like, you know, this is the path that I feel like I'm supposed to, you know, and it would inevitably kind of, you know, the two of us, like, where do we take this conversation? I can't tell you how many times I had that conversation, 19 years old, 20 years old, so on and so forth. And in my heart, I would know God has spoken something to me. I know I've seen something, and there was a sense, please hear this, that one day the outward proof of what I'm saying is going to manifest. But there's a journey I've got to walk down and be okay in the interim with it not manifesting and walk the journey to the promise. You follow what I'm saying? There's a waiting process that happens and a death. So, so like I go, we, we go to this, we were a part of this ministry in middle Georgia, town of 20,000. The only reason that me from like cosmopolitan Atlanta and Minda from all over the world would ever live in Dublin, Georgia, the home of the redneck games, I kid you not, look it up on YouTube, the home of the redneck games, international. We were not in Kansas anymore, we weren't in Atlanta anymore, I'll just say that. 
The only reason I would ever live there is because of this ministry that God had planted, this local church and that had a network of churches, and we knew we were going to be raised up and trained in ministry. And uh, we went there, and the idea was, when we moved there with some other people who also felt called, that uh, 18 to 36 months, we're probably going to plant a church together. That's what the leadership was telling us, that you'll you know, spend, anchor yourselves here for a season, and you'll be planted out. And the 18 months went by, and that was not happening. And 24 months went by, and that was not happening. And 36 months goes by, and that was not happening. And eventually, four years goes by. I can remember distinctly, and please hear this, in the fifth year, I can remember a conversation I had with God where I was asking him, I reached a point where I said, God, did I miss it? There was no indication that there was any kind of door being opened up to where I was going to do with my life what I really felt like I wanted to do. I was wanting to follow Jesus. He's the one who put these desires in my heart. I was wanting to do his will, and there was no indication that he was even opening up this door. There was no leader around me that was kind of like making it clear that this thing is going to happen. And we were in a season where... We were hurting financially. We didn't know why. Like why Minda wasn't, we weren't leading the youth ministry anymore. We were barely making it. And I was coming back from Florida for my dad's 70th birthday. And we were like, why are, what are we even doing? And I remember having this conversation with God saying, God, did I miss it? Did you really call me? Does this whole thing, this identity that I feel like you've given me of who I am, what I'm called to do, did I, did I wholesale miss it? And I got a call from Ferris Cox, the lead pastor, and he asked me for the first time ever to come over to his house. He wants to talk to me. And the end of that story is that there was an exchange of, there was, he, he invited me to come on to the, the full-time associate pastor role to be ordained, and, and, and that became the most critical two and a half years. Like, in a moment, the whole thing changed. We call them the suddenlies of God. Waiting for five years, and literally in a day, the whole thing shifted. And I could go on to other things that shifted, even in business. I was involved in mortgage origination. I was promoted to becoming a branch manager in that time, and all of a sudden, all these deals came out of nowhere, and we were in like the best financial position we had ever been in for a, for a while. It was like in a season. And I just want to ask, are there things that you're maybe forgetting, that you, promises that you need to blow off the dust off the shelf? And realize that God did not forget. He doesn't forget. And I always even say to Border City Church, just to be totally straight up, the same way that this pathway of awkwardness that I had as a 19, 20-year-old and gone into young adulthood, conversations where, where you would have where people were like, what are you going to do with your life? And I'm talking about being called, and they're like, what are you doing? You know, like, the same way Border City Church is a local church plant. Can we be comfortable with allowing the seed of what God is doing to take some time to germinate and to break through the ground? And to know in our spirits, God has said things about what he's calling us to do, but it, we maybe not be able to say outwardly, you see, it's happening. That's okay. And it's important that we embrace that and that we embrace that really the true joy, more so than the promise being fulfilled, is walking with him every step away. And that he won't love us anymore, we won't be any more significant when we walk in the inheritance of what he's promised than right now. 
And when a sapling comes through the surface of the ground, it is as much a tree as it will be when it's a tree. The whole thing is there. It's a process. And there's something in the spirit that says God has birthed Border City Church. And I want to say to us as a family, let's be content to be awkward. It's awkward. It's like, where's the beef? If you remember back in the 80s, that Wendy's commercial. Where's the beef? Where's the stuff? I'm not saying we don't have any stuff, but you, you know what I'm saying? It's awkward, but the Lord has spoken, and it's a journey, and you, can, you might as well, like the disciples could have. They could have celebrated on Saturday and, and known it was coming. We're not, we're, we already know it's coming. We might as well enjoy the now and know what he's doing now. And I also want to say God has a plan to make your most hopeless situation glorious. Those aren't trite words. That is for real. But let's talk about how do we, in that waiting process, how do we navigate our way through that? And you know how we do that? By waiting. <laughs> the way you wait on the promises, you wait, you wait on God in prayer and in communion. So let's look at that, shall we? Waiting in a place of prayer. So there's this redemptive second opportunity to wait that they had. And if you look with me in Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, I just want to read this to kind of set the, set the, the stage. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, After his suffering, he presented himself to them, to the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 years and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Listen to this. Do not leave Jerusalem, but, tell me what it says. Wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, wait on me. Just as my presence had been physically with you through my earthly body. My body is going into heaven, and I am about to pour my spirit out so that I will still be with you, and I will be in you, and I will be even upon you, and it will be even deeper and bigger and better than actually having me presently with you, but it's in the context of just waiting on me. I'm going to show up. Be postured for it. And before we go on with, with this, I just want to talk, just kind of dig in just real quick on the redemptive aspect of this. You see, these same disciples, listen to the, the greatness of their faith in Mark chapter 16, because the whole context of the Holy Spirit coming upon them was so, that, so they could be empowered to preach the gospel. Well, l- listen to what they did at the end of Jesus' earthly life with that. Mark 16 verse 14 says, later he appeared to the eleven, Jesus as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen, right? That was all planned by God to expose to them their lack of faith. You know that. Mary Magdalene choosing to have the women, and we don't listen to women in that culture, and and they're the ones that Jesus chooses to have see him at the grave. They're the ones who come and tell the male apostles, and they just kind of, you know, foolish women, and they did not believe Jesus, Never mind the women. They didn't believe Jesus, and he did that to expose their unbelief. And listen to the heart of Jesus in this. They, let's listen to this. Verse 15, and he said to them, go. <laughs> the ones who didn't believe, he tells them, go and do this commission into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes 
In other words, he who does the thing that you didn't do will be saved. And he who does not believe, those who just did what you did, will be condemned. Your lack of belief makes you worthy, can I say, of being condemned. And I choose you. You have an an opportunity, is what he's saying. I am still embracing you even though you utterly failed and did not believe. And you have forfeit the very basis of your calling, which is to cause people to believe. You yourselves didn't believe. I am still choosing you in in despite of your error because there's, there's always resurrection hope with Jesus. So what I'm saying is as we're talking about waiting here, there are people, myself included, who may have missed Jesus, who may have like dropped the ball, and God will even cause circumstances in your life to expose the fact you have missed it. And Jesus still commissions us to the very same thing in utter, total grace. So, the waiting was waiting on God in prayer, and this is where we're going to wrap it up. I just want to say some things just to speak out of what Anton was sharing with, with the church. So this waiting, it wasn't just like wait. It wasn't just like go into a room and kind of like sit there and like play Monopoly. It was waiting in prayer specifically. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, this is where we get this. These all continued, all these people in this upper room, continued with one accord in what? Prayer Prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. That was the waiting. Prayer. Acts 2, verse 1, if you... Go on to the next chapter. Where did this prayer conclude? When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. They were praying in unity. And suddenly there came, from, uh, came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them dividing, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Promise fulfilled, right? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So I just want to say a couple thoughts here, uh, that, that kind of reiterating what Anton had shared with us as a church. I want to reiterate it here and let it sink in and saturate our culture, our being. Three keys to waiting. One is humility. How many of you want to wait? How many of you want to do this thing that was so important in the heart of Jesus that his disciples would wait that they could be empowered from the Holy Spirit? Honestly, here it is, three keys. Humility. Waiting, the whole act of waiting is a manifestation of humility. The very act that you pause, you don't go through your prayer list, you don't go through all of your stuff, that you don't even go into the activities of the day that are so needed with real estate on my end and all this kind of stuff. You, you, you hit pause. You don't even give them your prayer list. You just sit there to wait on him. Lord, what are you saying? I, I've got to hear you. I've got, I've got to experience you. And you know, sometimes, let me put you at ease, sometimes you're not going to feel anything, and that's okay. You may sit there for, or it may take five minutes on, on the other hand, let me say this, throughout the week, rather easily, every morning, instead of just going into my normal prayer routine, just sitting there waiting, open up my palms, I don't know, it's like a thing for me, and, um, and I can just, and I practice the presence of Jesus, I focus on his presence. There have been times where I have been feeling in the last couple of days, I could, it's like I can feel him standing right in front of me. So wonderful. I don't even necessarily hear anything, I just know him. You know what happened yesterday? I messed up. I was supposed to be like waiting on God and praying and stuff. 
and I realize like 10, 15 minutes that I've been talking to myself. Anybody ever done that? No, you probably haven't. Like, 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 I, like the conversation that you're going to have with somebody and you prepare for it and you're like talking through it and, and like thinking through the angles and like 15 minutes, whatever goes by and I realize I've got an appointment I've got to go to, uh, I've got to meet a client over here and blah, blah, and, and I've like wasted my time. All I have is like five minutes. I, go, I, I, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. An- Anton came from South Africa and I'm already messing this thing up. <laughs> like I'm going into another day and I've got tons of stuff to do and I haven't even waited. I've got five minutes. And I sat there, and I just <laughs> did my thing. So I opened my, my hands up, and I sat there, and I just waited. And a few minutes goes by, and, and in an instant, I had this sense, my grace is with you today. He didn't say not those words. I just knew. I knew the grace of God to do the will of God at every level of my day today. I, it's, I, I could just, he was with me. Amen. And, so, and, and so I actually giggled. Out of just pure joy that, oh my gosh, your grace is amazing, God. I like messed up and you're still, and I just had such a confidence that he said that. And then I gave it a few more minutes and, and it was Holy Saturday and, and I just all of a sudden remembered. You know, it, was like he, he, it was like he reminded me, it's Holy Saturday, what does that mean? That means I went to a tomb for you. I, I, I died and I could just sense his love. I know that sounds so like, we always, I, I sensed his love. You know what I'm saying? It's different from knowing he loves me. I, I, I could feel his grace to do what needs to get done, and his love. I went into that day totally confident. My God is with me, he's for me, and I messed up. (laughs) It would not have happened had I not taken those five minutes just to say, God, I need you. Wait. Humility, key to waiting. Another one, second, cast off your cares. Cast off your cares, friends. Waiting is not your and my list of concerns. And as Anton was saying with us, before we even mention the things that we need, God already knows those things. Waiting is not talking to God about your list of everything that you think that he doesn't know and he needs to tend to. That's not waiting. Waiting is where we roll our concerns and say, God, you, you know. More important than me telling you, I actually need to receive communion from you, communication from you. And there's a subtle pride, is there not? That we think he needs to hear all of our stuff and that it's okay for us to go through a whole prayer session without even taking time to hear. And why don't we do that? Because we don't think that he really talks. Come on, preach it. Like either God communicates with his people or he doesn't. Jesus said, John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the divine communication of heaven. This is identity. He can't undo that. So we don't expect it. Casting off your cares is a key to waiting. You can't bring all of your prayer list into the place of waiting. You cast it off. You roll it at his feet. You exchange it, and you just wait. And then thirdly is this, is that waiting is all about communion. So as Anton was saying, it, waiting isn't reading the Bible. It's not praying. It's not sitting there and thinking about the grocery list and oh, my kids need to get in. And, and, oh, yeah, God. Now, and that happens to the best of us. I get it. But that's not what wait, waiting is waiting. As in, I know that you, I, I'm drawing near to you, and I believe that as I do, you're, you'll draw near to me. 
It's waiting. Waiting, waiting for his presence. That's what it is. Waiting for his presence. Waiting for his communication. Wait until you know his presence. And I just want to throw a, a couple Antonisms at, at our way. And we're not worshiping Anton this morning. I'm just wanting to keep this in front of us because so many of the things were so good. So a few, few things that he kind of get imparted to us. One, the Lord spoke to him. Don't try harder. Pay more attention. He told me that when I visited him in South Africa last eight, August, and man, that preaches well. That has revolutionized my life this past week. Don't try harder. I, I was believing, I, I would have preached that two weeks ago and didn't even know that I was violating the very idea. Don't try harder. Don't muscle it out. Don't give it the, your, pay more attention. That actually honors God way more. The supernatural, here's another one. The supernatural life comes from a place of waiting. And as a church, we have been yearning for a deeper manifestation of the Spirit of God and His presence and His reality. It simply comes from waiting with Him. That's, that's the atmosphere that that happens. You know, we, we run off to this place and we try to do that. We got to go to Bethel. We, you know, we got to, I mean, Bethel's cool. I, I want to go to Bethel. I'll receive, but like, we do all that. We, and actually, the, it's found in him. We already have it. To change the atmosphere of earth, we need to be tuned into the atmosphere of heaven. It's very simple, actually. It's like so simple. It's so simple that I'm probably like too heady to even catch it oftentimes. Be real. I miss it in my theology. To change the atmosphere of the earth, you've got to be tuned into the atmosphere of heaven. Yeah, that's right. How many times have I prayed, done my hour of prayer in the morning and Bible study without making sure that it was all about tuning into the atmosphere of heaven? The joy of the Lord, this is the scripture, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And there is fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord, Psalm 1611. And I have had joy over the past seven days that I haven't had in the past two years. It's not like I've been depressed or whatever. Well, on occasion, maybe I've been depressed. <laughs> Let's be real. While we're being real. And finally, striving is an obstacle to influence. You and I are born to influence this culture and even the nations. And I will still preach that over this church. I don't care if we're a team of 20 or whatever it is. You and I are born to influence nations together. But that is not because we try harder. That happens... Striving is an obstacle to that influence. Joy from waiting and expecting his goodness is key.